I'm John Bailey, and after 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a hot second since I've uploaded the Popcorn Junkie, and we've got some catching up to do. So for this week's episode, we're going to keep it simple. We've got reviews for Frozen and Frozen 2, as well as Knives Out, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and 21 Bridges, and then a quick lightning round to catch up on everything that I saw uh, that I haven't reviewed on the show yet. So let's get things started. Protect Arendelle at all costs. Quick question. Is the whole putting us in mortal danger going to be a regular thing? I've warmed up to Frozen in the last couple of years. I, if you dig through my old back catalog on Daily Motion, um, I had a lot of complaints against Frozen, um, but I also didn't think 2013 was a great year for animation either. Um, but yeah, the original Frozen I kind of thought was a, hot, a bit of a hot mess. Uh, but I also know a lot of the backstory leading into it, so I think that may have carried into it. So I'm like picking out, oh, that's obviously because of the development hell, that part's development hell, that part's definitely because of the development hell. And it's just like, I didn't get a chance to really enjoy the movie as much. And since I'm uh, older and arguably wiser, I've uh, revisited it uh, thanks to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> and um, it... Definitely is, um, yeah, I think the biggest problem with it is that it's become such a cash cow so that it gets marketed all over the place and it its welcome gets worn out immediately because of that. Because it's such a, a uh, merchandising giant that, you know, everyone's daughter or nieces and all that were just absolutely obsessed with Frozen and so everyone kind of hated it because of that, because, you know, God forbid little girls like a thing and you can't, and you, can, you know, <laughs> little girls can't like a thing and then, you know, let it be. They, it has to be terrible for them, clearly, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, the biggest thing I would say is that it definitely feels like, I think it was the first time Disney really tried to tap into the wicked well, um... That same year, they also did Maleficent, which definitely tried to dip its dip its feet into that whole Wicked, because Wicked was still fairly big at the time, and this one definitely because of the they've got the two um, the I believe husband and wife pair who wrote the songs for Avenue Q, they um, were they did the songs for this as well as the sequel, and they made it the original feel like a Broadway show. Uh, and so that kind of made it feel especially like Wicked, uh, not to mention the whole, um, you know, re revisiting, because normally Elsa would be seen as the bad person, the antagonist. And here we're kind of revisiting our prejudices against that sort of mentality. You know, every, usually we were just, you know, she's the Wicked Witch, we have to stop her. Instead, it's more, it's more three-dimensional than that. And, you know, of course, there's the classic, um, meta, well, now classic, meta-commentary. Uh, uh, Lindsay Ellis makes sure to br has brought this up in um, a couple of her videos. How 
Iger era Disney loves to try and make it sound like they're woke and you know, very aware of how um, classic Disney was problematic. And so like, hey, we're totally not that, you guys, but then doesn't really do anything else besides that. It's lampshading without any real substance. Uh, that being said, I do enjoy it on rewatch. It's still a really well-animated movie. Um, I think the third act kind of drags. Um, like, they're not quite sure how to end it, and it, it kind of, like, stumbles a bit. But I think everything leading up to about Let It Go is really solid. And then it's after that point, after um, Anna gets, um, Anna re- reunites with uh, Elsa and that whole interaction. After that point, it kind of like stumbles a bit. But it's still good. I enjoyed it. The sequel, I enjoyed even more. I absolutely adored it. Um, it I, but it's also, I'm a sucker for... Um, uh, like backstory and world building and f- epic fantasy stuff. It's what really hooked me into D and D. Um, and uh, you know, I, I and hearing like you know the four elements that are kind of the spirits of the elements that uh, govern the earth and the um, you know not, then they bring it up like oh there's mystic there's this mystical fifth element what could it be and then yeah I mean it's 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 uh, I love crap like that you know <laughs> I absolutely love epic fantasy nonsense like that. It's, it's totally my thing. Um, you know, and then, of course, the uh, interpersonal stuff is still the main focus. The fact that Anna still wants to maintain a close... Now that she's finally regained that closeness with Elsa, she doesn't want to lose it again. Because Even though Elsa is this, you know, super powerful, you know, mistress of, the, of ice. You know, it's she's like a superhero... And Anna is just trying to keep up and not lose her again. And um, meanwhile, Elsa is trying to just find out her place in all of this with all of her ice powers. And now she's starting to hear things. And then they go into the backstory of how exactly of, of their parentage. And turns out Arendelle has some skeletons in their closet. Like a lot of skeletons. Indigenous skeletons. Yeah, we're going there. Not a not very deeply, like you know, acknowledging it, kid friendly uh, mistreatment of the indigenous population. That's where we're going. Yeah, and um, yeah, basically the the uh, Anna and Elsa's grandfather, who was the king of Arendelle, um, was was super like um, you know thought magic was you know evil and untrustworthy, and so. Um, uh, screwed over the indigenous people and it's up to Anna and Elsa to, uh, to make amends for that, to atone for what he did. And, uh, you know, some more, some, and then it ties into their parents some more and like all this interesting, like cool backstory stuff that they've added on to. It's, 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 it's right up my alley. And, um. I also kind of like the song choices here. A couple of them are definitely, like, m- none of the original Frozen songs uh, got into my, um, like, got into any of my playlists on my phone. I didn't listen to them a lot. I've been listening to Lost in the Woods, um, the version from the movie, not the cover by Weezer, which I'll get into, and the um, Panic at the Disco cover, which, once again, I'll get into, um, of uh, of Elsa's uh, sort of Let It Go style like power song that she sings. Um, 
Into the Unknown. Uh, I've been listening to those two songs on repeat for the last couple, since I saw the movie. And that's the thing. A lot of people have been saying, oh, the, the Kristoff song sounds so out of place, and it's... Blah, 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 blah. Okay, sure. It's an 80s power ballad. It doesn't exactly sound, you know, appropriate um, it, for the, this kind of uh, movie, but and this kind of setting. But it's still just a kick-ass 80s power ballad. Like, holy cow. <laughs> uh, just, just the... It's just like all like the power chords, and it opens with like a like a almost um ah uh, what was it? Is it? I don't know if it's Poison or like uh, you, oh so many of those hair metal bands all did the you know did that sort of riff to it, and it's just it feels like one of those eighties power ballads, and it's so perfect. Like it's perfectly cheesy, and I adore it. It's like it's 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 like pure music junk food and i and i just eat it up all i eat it all up um and the rest of the songs are i think better like i prefer olaf's song in the sequel to this one let it go is still the best song in the entire duology but i prefer listening to the songs from the sequel like there's an interesting sort of um folk song lullaby that their mom sings played by evan rachel wood um and uh, you know, the new songs are kind of more eclectic. So you've got the more traditional, like, uh, um, musical theater style, like, songs of, like, I have everybody's happy catch-up song. And then, you know, Elsa's, like, uh, I want more pure Disney princess <laughs> logic, you know. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. That could, That's just the definition of a Disney princess. They want more. <laughs> <laughs> They're always wanting something. Um, but yeah, her song is solid in this. Um, and it features a really haunting, like... Doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. There's like this motif that plays throughout all of the songs. It, um, all, you know, all of Elsa's songs and, uh, and in the soundtrack. And it's this haunting sort of a motif that just is always kind of playing at some points during the movie. It's really well done. Uh, so the music is, I think, even better this time around. Um, but I'm not going to act like this is the best thing ever either. Yeah, as much as I love this movie, it's not going to top, it, it's probably going to be, it would probably be like 10 on my, in my end of the year list, which I'm actually going to rethink my list as well. I'm going to get into that after the lightning round. Um, but su suffice to say that, um... I think Frozen Two would be lower down on the list, if not an honorable, if not more of an honorable mention. But, um, you know, it's still good. But it's, I'm not going to act like it's amazing either. Like it's still a Disney movie. The indigenous people, for all the um, good press that Disney got for actually speaking to the Sami people of um, Scandinavia, they. As much as they didn't really play. It's like when Disney tried to get all that press for saying, oh, our first, you know, on-screen gay couple was in Beauty and the Beast. And literally it's LeFou dances with a guy for like a second on screen. That's it. That's their on-screen gay couple. That's not even canon, really. Like the most, it, it's, it's more than anything, LeFou, it, like the LeFou's 
characteristic as like being gay is never really open. It's like implied. It's all the same implied stereotypes of gay people in cinema. So it's not like anything new either. So it's, I, I, I think I wasn't really surprised to find that the, that the whole indigenous population summy connection was um, tentative at best. It's like, uh, yeah, they barely played anything. Like it's one, th- it, like it's one thing to be like, yeah, we're not, we're not being disrespectful to them. Good. You're also not making them part of the story either. It's all Elsa and Anna. Like they are the main focus still. The Sami play, the Sami inspired indigenous population plays like nothing to the overall plot. It's all about Elsa and her connection to the uh, to the nature spirits. So I do think that was a bit overblown. And they think they wanted uh, brownie points for something that it's ultimately like, good, you did the basic minimum that you should be doing as a, you know, money-hungry, just monopolistic corporation. Congratulations, you did the bare minimum. So, yeah, it's, um, it's also a lot more mature than the last movie. Like, there's a lot of motifs about death and in this one, and, like... Just very, you know, once again, mature themes like the treatment of indigenous po- indigenous populations by t- by t- um, tyrannical European inspired governments. I'm just saying, not a lot of people expect that in their kids' movies, but it definitely. I'd rather it be acknowledged than not. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a mixed bag because I don't want to act like it's amazing, a best thing ever. It's I enjoyed it, but it's still, you know, the Disney formula. It's still, um, it, you know, it, it, the storyline is better than Frozen One because it's they've established the baseline for with Frozen One, and now the sequel can build on it, and it's able to build more and, th- and more th- um, thoroughly than the, with the first one because it's all the development hell it took to just get the thing made, and yeah. T- it, it's about change and how change is very difficult, and but it's ultimately for the best and making amends for your pa- for your past and what your family has done. It's it's a um it's a solid movie. Um, I mem- I watched a Saber Sparks review of it, and he was talking about how there's they're absolutely going to do a sequel. Maybe maybe not. Um, I haven't heard that they've announced one yet, but plenty. Avatar the last the the uh, live action last airbender movie was successful financially. They didn't make a sequel out of that. And even and once again, there's no guarantee that we'll even get a sequel to Frozen cuz it's been 6 years. So even they have I, I'm I'm, I'm going to hold my breath until um Frozen 3 is officially announced at like D23 or something like that. Because I don't much you know, it's a perfect endpoint if they want to. Um, but if they plan on doing a third one, then go for it. But I honestly don't expect a Frozen Three. I would much, I would be more inclined to expect a Tangled the Series style uh, show for Disney Plus than an actual like third film. I think the continuing adventures of Anna and Elsa would be what they do because that's kind of the easier thing to do. And it would be a much more, a much better way to merchandise things to just have a weekly show that they can do stuff with. But we'll see. I'm not in on those meetings. So if they decide to go full third sequel, uh, fine as long you know as long as it doesn't suck. 
you know, if they pull a um, How to Train Your Dragon, where every in, you know every successful movie after the first one is even better, then I'll be then I'll be impressed. But uh, yeah, whatever, it's good. Frozen Two is good. Uh, go c- check it out if you get the chance. You know something? Spill it. Oh my God. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. I think you have something you want to tell me. Now, this is one that's going to be hard to talk about. Most of my notes are like um, 10 or so various ideas, thoughts that I've had about the thing. Um, This is one where I don't want to say a thing. I almost want to just leave it as nine's out. It's good. Go see it. No spoilers. Um... And I don't want to go into a full spoiler discussion either. Um, but yeah, Knives Out is the latest from Ryan Johnson. Uh, it's a classic whodunit sort of movie um, about a uh, mystery writer in the vein of a... Um, what's the one my mom likes? Um, uh, it begins with a P. Patterson. Or I guess maybe more like... Ah, I can't think. But basically, he's this uh, prolific mystery writer, and his family are all a bunch of rich snobs. Um, one son is in charge of the publishing end of things, and he's been pushing for um, media, uh, you know, visual media rights for going into like movie adaptations and television shows. Netflix, I think, is gets dropped at some point. Um, that he's played by Michael Shannon. Christopher Plummer is the is the patriarch, is the actual writer himself. You got Don Johnson. You've got. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, uh, the chick from 13 Reasons Why, um, Young Bill from uh, uh, from the It movies is in the uh, is is kind of like in a very superfluous role that that's kind of a joke role, um, and then yeah, it, then you got Daniel Craig as a southern like like full on like he sounds he sounds kind of like every. It sounds like he's, you know, I'm, he's just a simple country lawyer. Like, I would not be surprised if he, if he used this accent. It kind of, kind of plays off the accent he did for Lo, uh, Lucky Logan, but um, it's much more of a drawl. He, he definitely, like, I think they mentioned he's from Kentucky. I, I, I don't know. They joke about he's from Kentucky because they call him the Colonel, but he's, he's, he definitely sounds like he's from Georgia. He's got that sort of affectation to his voice. And, um, he's, he's delightful in this. Uh, he really is. And Michael Ely, uh, is in this in a very, uh, superfluous role as well as one of the, uh, detectives on the case who's kind of just kind of there as a second banana to Daniel Craig, but, um, I forget her name. I have to pull up. I'm going to pull up the IMDB real quick, but suffice to say that the re like, they don't mention it in the, um, in the uh, in the trailers or not as much they ma- they mainly focus on Daniel Craig, but uh, the main protagonist of the movie is Anna de Armas, um, who basically plays a um, a nurse a stay in nurse for uh, for um, the for for Christopher Plummer, and it's 
And then she eventually acts and, and she somehow ends up getting so embroiled in all of the familial drama surrounding his death. And apparently she was um, something in Blade Runner 2049. She is going to be in the next Bond movie, apparently. So neat. Good for her. Uh, Norma Jean. What? Oh, wait. is she playing Marilyn Monroe? Norma Jean. That's the actual name of Marilyn Monroe. So, I mean, good for her. Um, she's apparently playing Marilyn Monroe in something. Um, it's supposed to be getting Bobby Cannavale's in it, too. Andrew Dominic. Sorry, I'm going down an IMDb rabbit hole, but I'd rather do this than end up um, spoiling the movie because the movie is um, just absolutely phenomenal. I don't want to spoil a, a thing about it. Um... Andrew Dominic killing them softly in the assassination of Jesse James by that coward, uh, by the coward Robert Ford. So apparently this, uh, that guy, um, the guy behind those movies, is doing a thing about Marilyn Monroe, and Anna de Armas is playing Marilyn Monroe. So good for her. Neat. That's a nice get. Um, she was also in an uncredited role in Yesterday, apparently. Um... Yeah, this is the first time I really recognized her. I don't... Who is this? her character in 2049? Joy. Is that... Oh, yeah, she's the... Okay, okay. I know who that is. She is the... Um, the uh, AI that, that uh, Ryan Gosling is sort of like in a relationship with her style. And... Uh, okay. Okay. I know who that is. Okay, so yeah, she's that, uh, she play so that's where she kind of is her real knockout, uh, like, standout performance, I'm guessing, because that's the first time, that's the big thing that, um, would be her, like, big draw is, like, this prominent female character in, in a major, uh, blockbuster but um, apparently she's going to be one of the Bond girls in the next Daniel Craig Bond movie. Rami Malek is going to be in it. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's that I'm, Jeffrey Wright is going to be in it. I'm in. I'm excited. I'll to, okay, there's a teaser, too. So I'll have to take a look at that at, uh, in between uh, reviews. But sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, knives out. It's um, it is it's real good. Uh no spoilers. Uh, go watch it. It's good. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know boom, that each one of them is precious. I did watch that uh, No Time to Die teaser. Apparently it was just an announcement that the trailer is coming on Wednesday, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, I'm very interested to see what they plan to do with this. Uh, supposedly the uh, last of the um, Daniel Craig era Bond movies. But uh, moving it right along to completely the opposite of what I've been talking about, some just some sweet wholesomeness. We're talking about Mr. Rogers and Tom Hanks, Amer America's sweetheart, playing Mr. Rogers, the the um, consummate wholesome daddy. Uh, yeah, the main 
And the whole real selling point behind this movie is that Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. It's not a one-for-one impersonation. It's more of one, it's, you know what, I'm trying to find a good comparison. I'm trying to think of a biopic um, where, you know, it's it's one where you get a A-list actor who's not, like, super good at doing impersonations or anything like that but they envelop the idea of that character they you know they're not like they're not one for one but they're like a pastiche of the character they're the person that they're playing that's kind of how tom hanks plays uh mr rogers he is the impression he gives the impression of mr rogers without being a one for one for mr rogers um this is this is one of those that's inspired by a true story. It took the uh, article in question, the Esquire article, uh, changed the name of the writer, um, and kind of did its own thing. And it's much more about him. He's played by Matthew Reese, who I don't really know. And it's basically about how this dude is kind of a, a is kind of a cynic and uh, on a downward spiral. It's very filled with like trauma and hate, and then he gets tasked with this uh expose this what is supposed to be a quick you know interview with mr rogers like about being a hero and it eventually turns into this whole ordeal with like mr rogers kind of helped turn his life around just by listening to him and acting as sort of a, a counselor uh for this guy and just acting as a friend you know as mr rogers would as being a fr- very friendly towards him and by all accounts and i, th- I remember hearing about the story in won't you be my neighbor this is, you know, a very Hollywoodized, exaggerated version of that story, very clearly. I would much sooner recommend you go watch Won't You Be My Neighbor, but it's, it's you know, I, I, I definitely got its uh, charm to it. Like, the transitions between cities, whenever they show, like, travel or uh, location, like, um, establishing shots of cities, it's all the Mr. Rogers-style cardboards. It, it's really charming in that sense. It, it's shot the... The um, bookending stuff, the stuff that make the narrative um, uh, idea is that it, Mr. Rogers, it's an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then the movie it happens in between those bits. It's really cute. Um, and then the, the, main, the main takeaway is that, you know, it's okay to feel anger, but do not let the anger you feel you know, kind of ruin your life because the main thing that this guy suffered from is that he forever took the trauma that he felt as a kid and held it inside and never let go of it. And at this mo- the, the meeting Mr. Rogers and talking to the, everything about him kind of helped him revisit the need to hold on to that anger and that he shouldn't be so beholden to a vendetta that wasn't really his to fight either. Like he's, he took upon this vendetta upon himself and re he's reevaluating whether he even needs to or not. And Chris Cooper plays the guy's dad. That's the other real name I, I noticed. Uh, that's the real other real, like no notifiable actor that I, that I saw in the movie. Um, and he's good. He's solid. Chris Cooper's always good. Um, but it it's de- yeah it really is just um it's and i think the problem is that it it pulls the julie julia thing where 
The good stuff has to do with the famous person. But when we're talking about the journalist, the side person who we don't really know, it's kind of mundane and not very compelling. Especially since the, like, I don't know who Matthew Reese is. He he honestly reminded me of Charlie uh, Cox from uh, Daredevil. Uh, but he the, apparently a bunch of these people are TV uh, actors and they definitely don't have that sort of big screen charisma but they're also not given a whole lot to do either and i feel like they're just there because they're cheaper after they all got the big name which was tom hanks they got tom hanks so everyone else is just you were affordable after that um that, that, at least that's the feeling i get i don't know if that's true or not but it unfortunately there you don't have the sort of you need somebody to be able to hold their own against Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers. And the guy, Matthew Reese does not have it in him to really hold his own when he's supposed to be the protagonist of the movie. You care more about Fred Rogers than you do about this dude. And I think it suffers from that same issue uh, that Julie and Julia did where the really interesting person that should have deserved the biopic is sort of in the background helping out this main character who we don't really need to care about. And at least that, I, I don't know if anybody feels the same way about Julie and Julia. I always felt that way, even when I first, you know, when it first came out, you know, about a decade ago, I was just like, who's this Julie and why do I care? Give me the Julia child because Meryl Streep is nailing this performance and y'all are just wasting my time with this blogger trying to do, just blogger, just, you know, screwing upward. Uh, but anyway, um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uh, is not a bad movie by any means. Um, I'm critical of it, but mainly because Won't You Be My Neighbor, we, I never really cared about Mr. Rogers before. Um, I know he kind of he's kind of seen a resurgence in this era of like so much toxicity that he's seen as like a very wholesome figure the same way Bob Ross was. And Won't You Be My Neighbor made me fall in love with Fred Rogers and everything that he everything he tried to do. He is somebody who was like, you think about it, Fred, and then, you know, ever since, you know, in the recent years, you've seen, like, web comics about how it's Fred Rogers interacting with Thor, or, you know, what would, you know, think about, think, think before you do anything, think about it, which Roger, you know, would either of the Rogers, Steve Rogers, Captain America, or Fred Rogers, what would they think of, think of your choice? <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's kind of, even in his, you know, after his untimely, you know, after his death, he's seen a true, and he's still held in such high regard. And especially, like, uh, people are see, see him as sort of a radical, in a sense. Because especially after Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, came out and they revealed everything about what he did. The fact that he took, uh, you know, get, gave a black actor a, you know, the role of a cop in his neighborhood. And during a time when, you know, I, you know black people were violently uh, kept out of um, white pools. He's like, I'm washing my feet next to you. And as I'm, he, you know, he did everything short of looking straight into the camera. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Huh? You, you filthy bigot. <laughs> you know, he did everything just short. He's just like, hey. Here's me and my black friend. We're washing our feet together in the same pool. In the same pool. You see, we're washing our feet in the same pool. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's subtle about it, but he's still very... He's like loudly subtle. 
He's not hitting you over the head with the, with the message, but he doesn't shy away from it either. Dude's first episode was an allegory for the Vietnam War, so... Like I said, dude was kind of a radical. <laughs> um, the only thing he wasn't... And that was... They, do, they kind of address it in, in Won't You Be My Neighbor, but there, there, there was the concern that because he was a Presbyterian minister, that he, he, he was probably anti-gay, and that um, there was concern that because the actor who did play... Um, the, off, the officer in question uh, was in the closet that Fred actually told him to stay in the closet. But they when they talked to the guy, um, he never sounded like Fred was, you know, homophobic towards him. I think Fred was more concerned about, you know, like he's able to push, like race, you know, ra racism was something that was in the forefront of the news and trying to tackle both racism and homophobia would probably have get him pulled from the air. And I'm not saying that's right that he, you know, I don't even think he, I don't even think he told his friend to stay in the closet either. I think he was more concerned about his friend's safety than like trying to put him, you know, push him meshes. I mean, he could have made uh his, his you know, the character he played gay, but he he wasn't also he wasn't also addressing those issues. I think maybe in the present era, if they tried to do it now, he might be addressing it because that's in the more in the forefront now. But I don't think it was. I don't. I don't think he's the big, the secret homophobe that everyone wants him to be. I think he's much. More, he was much more accepting of things like that. But it also never became an issue during his lifetime either. At least not that I've seen. I haven't seen any any like true hard evidence it's been mostly conjecture and hearsay uh, as to whether or not he's actually homophobic and as far as i know he was just, you know he didn't care about that sort of stuff he, he he was much more concerned about people's hearts and you know well in their you know their overall like mental well-being uh Kind of getting off topic and gushing about uh, Fred Ro Fred Rogers and the documentary, which I prefer. So I think I'll just leave it at "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood." It's very likely going to land um, Tom Hanks another Oscar nomination. I don't know that I would give it to him. I'd have to take a look at all the nominees. He may end up getting it in the end, but um, I think the movie itself kind of pales in comparison to the documentary. And there's a lot of biopics that do that. They just they're too focused on being following the Hollywood formula and structure, and uh, the and they completely miss the point of what makes that person unique. Whereas a documentary is allowed to go full on into the person's backstory, and you learn so much more about them. Same thing I had uh, an issue with uh, Harriet, um, but um, well, I'll mention that in the lightning round. Yeah, beautiful day in the neighborhood. Not bad, but. I kind of prefer the documentary to the biopic. What's going on here? I just need the truth, that's all. They told me you were fearless. The guy who kills cop killers. Sees his dad and every cop who dies. Nobody approaching, he's mine. Police, out of the way, move! They're not gonna escape this island. You're the only cop tonight who speaks first and shoots second. I will find out why tonight happened. 
rep the set. Yeah, gotta rep the set. Dang. This was the review that I've had the most trouble figuring out how to handle it. Every single... As soon as I came out of the movie, the first thing I kept wanting to talk about is this term in leftist circles called copaganda. And, you know, it's a portmanteau of cops and propaganda. And the basic... Uh, breakdown is copaganda is a terminology used for media that portrays cops in an overwhelmingly positive light and never really addresses a lot of the issues. And even those that do address the issues, they end up still siding with uh, police officers and never really addressing the concerns that people have um, towards them. There's a reason why people don't say all fire all firefighters are bastards. Um, there's just something within the system that's, to- that's toxic that isn't getting addressed. And instead of addressing it, it's turning, it's go- turning around and playing the victim and not really addressing people's concerns. I'll say it that way. I don't, I've worked with law enforcement, um, especially in, um, one of my, uh, jobs that I, uh, I actually had to. Yeah, I dealt regularly with law enforcement. I hadn't, I never had a bad interaction with them. Uh, but I do, but I think there is just an inherent issue within law enforcement, be it the recruitment and be it the, um, the tasks that they're, uh, expected to handle and the way they go about doing, you know, their, their, um, duties that make, that is what people are concerned about and want to address. And the, and a lot of times, um, rather than addressing the issue, the overall issues and even, and, and every, I mean, remember every single time that police corruption and police, um, brutality and things of that nature, whenever the cops themselves want to come forward, they're completely ostracized by their peers because, there's this weird sort of fraternal mentality that to question the badge means that you're the enemy and that you shouldn't want to improve the people you're working with. You should let us do our job because clearly we know better when, and, and, you know, cops, cops will tell you all the time that cops that have addressed these issues will tell you that they've been, you know, they've had pranks pulled on them by guys that are trying to, like, you know, bully them into staying quiet. And it's this weird sort of toxic mentality within various police forces that is never getting addressed. And this ties into racism, to all sorts of other intersections. And all of those topics are more interesting than the movie I saw. 21 Bridges, by all accounts, is just a complete... It's definitely going to end up on my blandest of the year because it just does nothing new. Chadwick Boseman, solid actor, gets, like, nothing to do. He is the straight-laced cop who just wants the truth. And he's... It feels like it's trying to be a Serpico, but it's a PG-13, boring-by-the-number Serpico. So all of the issues I could bring up about police and, and and law enforcement and all you know all you know the various topics that stem outward from that I was with I was every time I tried to start from that 
point of view, the propaganda thing, I would just spiral out into a, uh, uh, to topics of like authoritarianism into the, that that was caked into the foundation of our country that was that was baked in there by conservative uh, Christian believers back in like the 1700s and like how does that tie into things does it tie into our nationalism is authoritarianism you know too baked baked into our ideals of nationalism and it's just like all of these interesting widespread topics that have absolutely not a goddamn thing to do with this boring piece of crap movie <laughs> oh god i would much rather talk about these philosophical ideas and debates than ever mention this movie because this movie is boring this movie just and that's the problem is that it's like its main selling point is that it's from produced by the Russo brothers, which basically means that we didn't have all the people who actually made this movie aren't popular or good enough to speak to sell it. So we're going to use the people who are and they're the dudes who put their name on the paychecks for it. Uh, but um, and that's the whole thing is that the cast isn't bad either. Taylor Kitsch is one of the uh, bad guys. Uh, J.K. Simmons is one of the captains. He just ends up playing cops. I think he's just got that, that authoritative voice. Um, uh, Keith David is in here in a throwaway role. That's how bad this movie is. This movie has Keith Everlovin' David. Just the voice of pure sex appeal. And what do they do with him? They put him in the background of, like, one scene. He barely gets any lines. I think he got, like, two lines in the whole damn movie. Thanks, guys. You wasted my time. Um, Sienna Miller's in this. Uh, she's all right. I kind of mistook her a bit for, like, Gina Carano. Uh, she's she's fairly, like... You know, she's not, like, anything to write home about either. But her, neither is her character. Her character is just kind of okay. And then, um... Stephen James plays the one... Um... One of the... You know, one of the, the criminals who's, like... Um, in over his head and the one that Chadwick Boseman is interacting with a lot. Uh, he played Jesse Owens in the Jesse Owens biopic a couple years back. He was also in If Beale Street Could Talk. And apparently he was John Lewis in Selma. So this dude is a lot more prolific than I gave, than I realized. I just didn't recognize him. Uh, he's solid in the movie, I think. He, he and Chadwick Boseman work well off of each other. But it's just... Like... There's a perfect example. There's a movie listed under more like this for 21 bridges the um it is a feature adaptation of rap man's youtube series about two young friends who become rivals in a street war so it's like we're talking um you know like direct to video level quality and i swear there's there's like a movie that a direct-to-video movie starring, like, 50 Cent or something that was exactly this kind of, you know, there's corruption in the police force and we gotta root it out and we we need to know the truth behind this. And it's just, like, I this story has been done so much and yet it never, once again, it just never addresses the underlying issues people have with law enforcement. It opens up with J.K. Simmons wishing that um, Chadwick Boseman, who has a apparent reputation of killing criminals instead of bringing them in, which is, you know, his job to bring them in. And instead, J.K. Simmons is praising him for killing them because that's better than, you know, upholding the criminal justice system. Like, this is, get this, 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 this is what we're talking about. But the movie doesn't address that. It just points it out. It's a talking, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mentality thrown about, but never really addressed. It's like, oh yeah, these things exist. 
Um, okay, then. Bye. <laughs> it's like nothing. There's no, th like, Serpico dug deep into the ideas of police corruption and all the, the topics that we've been talking about lately. They can tie right back to Serpico in the 70s, who did exactly the kind of stuff that we need more cops to do, which is uproot all uproot any sort of bat you know problem problems in this whole thing and then of course we just the, the whole thing needs addressing but we don't want to do it and that itself is a more interesting topic than this movie which just uses it as like a backdrop it's like oh yeah that's a thing and then we're just going to tell a by the numbers um you know up you know police police corruption mystery thriller whatever like everything about it is just completely predictable and it just completely ultimately wasted my time i do although i do mention and um if you've been following me on letterboxd which i recommend because that allows me to get more into um in depth because because uh, i'm writing reviews out i don't often go into a lot of detail but um i you know i i, I there's a lot more stuff i cover than i do on the episode like i'm right there uh, on Letterboxd, I'm going through my the co the whole array of um, batted movies from 2010 onward that um, in order to make a full on uh, best and worst of the 2010s top 10 list, and it's been a it's been a quite a ride covering some of the worst movies from the from 2010 onward. Um, and if you want to see kind of the rankings, that's all there as well on my lists. So I recommend checking me out on Letterboxd. Um, but I just mentioned before recording this episode, uh, I review I watched The Tourist, uh, which was the 2010 sort of Hitchcockian wannabe, uh, thrill comedy thriller, uh, starring, uh, Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. And I heard it's like it's oh one of the worst movies of that year, just so absolutely terrible. It's the worst crime it commits is being boring. And I mentioned in that uh, review on Letterboxd that I think people think of this as a bad movie because there's this mentality in criticism in movie criticism that boring is somehow worse than being awful because. There's this weird sort of idea that eliciting any emotion is a good thing. And so if you elicit a bad emotion, you get more credit than, than not eliciting any emotions at all. Todd in the Shadows brings this up in with music as well. Um, he'll often go have the worst songs of the year be really boring songs that don't elicit any real reaction. They're not viscerally terrible. They're just, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're bland, flavorless mush. They're like, they're like yogurt. They're like plain uh, yogurt, not even Greek yogurt, just like plain regular yogurt. No real flavor at all. And I'm okay with, I can handle bland. I cannot handle terrible. I am much, I get much more of a reaction out of being terrible than being bland. If you're boring, I can forget about you. If you're terrible, you will haunt me until the day I die or lose all me all memories. Until the day that I can actually erase you from my memory, other than to know that you're terrible. I don't need to know you exist anymore. 
but I don't want to do that because then I might end up seeing you again. So it's it's a it's a bad bad memory. The fact that you know it's movies that do that that elicit just visceral anger and just like why what what just that's what I consider the worst for the most part. That's why I set up the blandest um, list for the show was because a boring movie is different from a bad movie. And I want to make that distinction because so many critics will avoid the distinction, whereas I would rather say, here's the ones to avoid because they're boring. Here's the ones to avoid because they're absolutely terrible and should never patronize them in any capacity ever. Just avoid them like the plague because they are the plague. That's kind of this movie in a nutshell. This movie is not the plague. It's like a mild annoyance. Yeah, you, yeah, you suck. But whatever. I can forget about you. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, it's going to be a big old lightning round to catch up on what I've everything I've missed between last episode and now. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying Folks, we're back, and it's time for a quick lightning round recap of everything that I had missed up to this point. So, without further ado, let's get into the lightning round. Door in the Lost City of Gold. Better than it had any right to be. Lightning round. Brian Banks. Solid story of redemption. Lightning round. The Art of Racing in the Rain. More boring a dog's purpose now with racing. Lightning round. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Good, but never quite captures the spirit of the books. Lightning round. The Kitchen. Great gangster movie with a solid cast. Lightning round. Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling. Perfect as both an end cap to the series or jumping off point for a reboot. Lightning round. The Angry Birds Movie 2. Better than the first one, but still not that great. Lightning Round. 47 Meters Down Uncaged. Absolute trash. Lightning Round. Good Boys. A blast of a comedy, and I hope to see good things from these kids in the future. Lightning Round. Invader Zim. Enter the Florpus. Has the energy of the original show, but it feels more like an extended episode that goes on for a bit too long. Lightning Round. Blinded by the Light. Beautiful story about the need to pursue your dreams, but never alienate your loved ones. Lightning Round. 
Ready or Not, a fun horror comedy about sticking it to the bourgeoisie. Lightning round. Overcomer, absolutely boring. Lightning round. Angel Has Fallen, honestly the best of the three, but still not a very good action movie. Lightning round. Rambo, Last Blood. Good ending to the franchise, though it feels wrong watching Rambo kill Mexicans for 45 minutes. Lightning round. Joker, a grittier take on the character, though still suffers from the baggage that the character has in pop culture. Lightning round. Gemini Man, interesting premise, pretty weak execution. Lightning round. Zombieland, Double Tap. Not terrible, but never really lives up to the original. Lightning round. The Addams Family. Manages to capture the Addams well enough, but the story is pretty weak and by the numbers. Lightning round. Jojo Rabbit. Wonderful satire that could only come from the mind of Taika Waititi. Lightning round. Terminator Dark Fate. Better than the last three entries, but still not as good as the first one. Lightning round. Doctor Sleep. Really good follow-up to The Shining, and I actually prefer this one, although the child actor can be a bit hit or miss. Lightning round. Lady and the Tramp 2019. Salson's up the edges of the first one, but misses what made that one work. Lightning round. Midway. Emmerich's best film by far, though it's just a fairly standard World War II movie. Lightning round. Ford vs. Ferrari. Really great movie, but could have been cut to about two hours instead of two and a half. Lightning round. Charlie's Angels. Hot Lady Spies, now with more feminist theory. Lightning round. Countdown. Final Destination for Gen Z. Lightning round. Last Christmas. Corny Christmas rom-com that takes the title reference song a bit too literally. Lightning round. Harriet, a somewhat sanitized and Hollywood-friendly telling of the Tubman story. And there you have it. That, that was all the movies I had seen between episodes. Uh, I am going to be catching up on stuff as well, uh, not to mention the whole um, 2010 re-washing. <laughs> re um, that, that brings me to uh, what I wanted to discuss at the end of this episode. Um, I'm not going to try and do any extra bits for right now, I'm going to keep this strictly uh, review-centric. This is just going to be straight reviews. No trailer talk. No um, uh, box office uh, uh, box office reports. No, you know, nothing, um, nothing extenuous. No long-form discussions. Um, just, just the reviews. I'm paring it down to the bare essentials. And then... For right now, uh, I'm going to give that a couple of episodes. I'm going to give that to the end of the year, probably. And then as the as there becomes an audience for this show again, and as that audience begins to build up, I'll make sure that, to ask you all what you want out of the show. Uh, the Patreon is still up and running. It It's going to serve as an archive for all the uh, episode, all the extra content. I think I'm going to keep it as an extra, I don't know if I want to use it as an extra feed, I uh, just because nobody's been using it. I may hold off on that as, I may, you know, as like an, as its own feed to get stuff early, because I, I, that's not really how I've done this show. 
most of the time I don't do this show early enough to warrant like, hey, this episode's coming out early because most of my stuff is done by the weekend. So, yeah. Uh, um, we'll see uh, about all that stuff. Um, that's down. That's future John's worries. So for right now, it's going to be straight reviews. And if you're listening and you like and you want to hear more content, um, you know, send me a message on Twitter or uh, at Corn Junkie Pod or an email at corn, Popcorn Junkie Podcast at gmail.com if you want if, what kind of content you would like to see from this show. So yeah, for right now, um, no previews of the next week, no. Um, Nothing like that. I will definitely be talking about, um, like, the Oscars, but I'm not going to try and do, like, whole award show segments like I did last year. I'm just keeping it to the reviews for right now. Uh, and I may just do an Oscar special, honestly. Um, so, yeah, uh, that'll be it for this episode. So, it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to whitelist us on your ad blocker and uh, favorite us on your web browser. And you can keep up to date on all the new shows as they come out. Plus, uh, check out all of our other fine content. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join a fledgling network on the rise, uh, send us an email at GumbyCatNetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Uh, if you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on all your various podcast providers. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, and then uh, your various third-party apps. Uh, if you want to help the show out, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. Uh, you can also share us on your various social media. The social media home of Popcorn Junkie is Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, Instagram at uh, Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and um, you can also find me on Letterboxd at I believe Corn Junkie Pod uh, is what I uh, I officially changed my name from Solitary Nerd. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm Corn Junkie Pod on Fish uh, <laughs> Fish. I don't even know where Fish came from. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd, um, and you can also find me at Popcorn Junkie on uh, uh, Stardust. Uh, to check out all of my old reactions. I will get back into that starting this week, and I may start including um, a back catalog of all the stuff I missed um, and just go, you know, one by one react uh, to catch myself up over there. So stay tuned over there um, for that. Uh, and if you want to you know, have any suggestions or feedback or anything else you want to say uh, to the show, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and uh, I'll get back to you. Or I would love to re relay uh, comments on the show in like a audience, um, you know, talkback segment, something like that. So that does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey and it feels good to be back. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork.
If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on uh, Squarespace. Bleh. On our homepage. <laughs> our homepage is hosted on Squarespace, though. Um, 